I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, true and real stories from the fringes of classical music. I want to give a quick shout out to James Napoli, who was just uh, taking a few photos of, of this session. He uh, he actually took the photos that um, you'll see at Triloquy.org. Scott, you, you looking real cool on your motorcycle. You think and- so? Yeah, I think so. See, because I think the people my age and up are looking at that and going, oh, give me a break. Why, you, why, why would you say that? Well, what, 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 what do you, because <laughs> anybody who rides a motorcycle is cool. And I don't really, <laughs> I don't really know about different sorts of, because you don't have a Harley, right? So I'm sure the Harley well, people. Thanks for blowing my cover there. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, they can look at the picture and see that it's not a Harley. Okay. All right, but, but okay, we'll, we'll continue that later because I see I'm, I'm making you upset. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm so upset. So uh, today is a, a very special opus of Triloquy. We have our guest, Vanessa Rose, live here with us. We'll, uh, we'll uh, get talking with her uh, here shortly. But uh, by the time this airs, Scott, we'll have gone uh, to the fair. And I, I want to know uh, uh, what you're looking forward to as, as far as uh, going to the fair, because I know you don't really like a whole bunch of people and a I whole bunch no of crowds. Idea. No, I have no idea what I'm looking forward to. No, see, the last time I went, I went in the evening. Uh-huh. And when I left, I had spent $100, I wasn't drunk, and I didn't have a new tattoo. So something, <laughs> I thought something was wrong. So, so one of those things needed to have happened. Something. But were you at least really full? I don't remember. Oh well, <laughs> well that well I'll, I'll I'll take care. Of you. I went on a few rides. It was a few rides. Oh, I saw I'm the, not doing that. I saw the. Uh, you don't like the carny rides? No. There's no. A, there's the possibility that something will fall off while you're in there. I mean, there's a dangerous element to these rides. Well, Triloquy is such an important project. I want to live to see it go as far as I can, and a, and a part of me living as long as I can is not getting on those rides. That so they, you're going to keep me off the slingshot. You can get on the slingshot if you want to. I'll take all the pictures you want. And, um, so, so anyway, um, so uh, Vanessa Rose uh, is here. We're going to talk about the uh, American Composers Forum and and one of the initiatives that um, they have coming up involving uh, diversity and inclusion and all that sort of thing. And uh, you know these these initiatives are are it, it seems like a trend that that a, a lot of organizations are really having the conversations of inclusion and diversity. You know, even us here at American Public Media, yeah. we've uh, been doing a lot of that. Um, but I wanted to go back. Um, to something Jessica McJunkin said in the last opus of Triloquy. Um, for, for anyone who missed that um, opus, Jessica um, is one of Beyonce's hand-selected violinists, uh, performed the uh, Coachella performance, uh, went on her latest tour. And she said that uh, she's been, Jessica said that she's been involved with all of these different initiatives and uh, programs over the years as far as uh, diversity and inclusion, but none of them felt more culturally fulfilling than performing with Beyonce, with all of the blackness that is, and yeah. and really exploring um, the many shades of of black culture and and, and black music. What what do you uh, what, what do you think that means? I mean, are are, are organizations um, that are predominantly white are they just wasting their time by by doing these uh, by by doing these initiatives and and trying to get all this going? I wonder, but first, before we get down into that, I want to admit something about homecoming. Okay, about the the about, doc, the Beyonce documentary. Yeah. yeah, I felt jealous to a degree. Talk to me more about that. 
I don't know of anything in white culture that I came up against that is, it, it seems to be as tightly woven, as um, proud, and as um, invested mm -hmm. as all of these people. I, I, I just, I, maybe uh, envy is a better word. Sure. I, I envied the work. Um, that it took to to put it together and to have all of that precision, I envy the the shared history that everybody seems to be completely steeped in. I mean, it, it just it, to me, despite the different backgrounds of people, whether you're a dancer, a violinist, yeah. a marching band person, a, a singer, a de you know, yeah. and I, I was I, I just thought that that was really a a, a proud moment for everybody to be involved and 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 it made me envious that I thought man I really the the only thing that I can even compare it to is when I was doing theater with Shelter Belt Theater yeah. and you know we did we did do plenty of productions that incorporated other cultures, races, sexualities. Um, we did. Are, are you familiar with the play Corpus Christi? Uh, I don't think so. No. That was written in 1997, and basically, it tells the story of Jesus Christ and all of his disciples as if they were all gay men. Hmm. And so, there I'm, was, I'm interested. Um, we were picketed for that. There what? were, yeah, there were people out in front that you know I had to shove my way through to get into my own theater to see this show. Um, there was the dance element. There was well, essentially, the message was love. Yeah, you know, and being who you are. Um, we also did a um, I can't remember the title, but it was essentially a more modern raisin in the sun. Mm -hmm. um, I do where, know that one. Okay, so we did a play where there was a tenant building and you got to see three different phases you got to see when it was uh freshly built and a, a white family in the 50s were living there and then the next part of the play was a black family living in there as it was run down yeah and then you got to see the third act where it was being gentrified and all of the actors were in all three different scenes but as different roles, you know, huh. so, and that was really neat. Um, and of course, we tackled something, I guess, which was more mainstream in a play called Love is Strange about a, a woman in a abusive marriage. Hmm. It was my ex-girlfriend, actually, who was uh, the lead role, uh, the, the woman in the play. And it was difficult for me to watch, not just because, you know, that was my girlfriend at the time being treated this way, but just... Biting, the, yeah, you know, watching the the controlling and 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 violent nature of some of these relationships. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting how perspective really plays into all of uh, you know, all of art and and, and how it's uh, and how it's perceived. Um, I, I think this is a a, a good uh, place for us to invite uh, Vanessa Rose to pop into the conversation. Thanks so much for being with us here today. Hey, Hi, thank you. It's a but, pleasure to be here. But before we hear about uh, more, I want to you know hear about more of your background and what led you to your position at the American Composers Forum. But but um, toss your hat into kind of what what we're talking about mm -hmm. when, when when Scott mentioned um, envy over uh, Beyonce's yeah. homecoming and that and that joint experience and that that joint culture. Do, do you think? Um, that exists in in classical or or instrumental music or, or or whatever you know you want to call this music that we're dedicated to. That's a great question. Yeah, I was going to bring up homecoming because oh please well, do yeah how can we not yeah yeah <laughs> shout out to Beyonce yeah yeah totally um, that's a great question I I think that actually um, taps into one of the 
the more uncomfortable aspects of the conversation that we're having about what it is to talk about diversity for a white-centric classical music, Western European classical music organization. And I think one of the things uh, we were talking about earlier even was, um, you know, we talk about, well, we need to be more diverse. We have to have people of color. We have to have women. And what we're not saying is... uh, white women mm-hmm. or you know we're we're kind of framing it in ways that kind of still make it the other right instead of saying we're just going to play white people music today mm. right <laughs> we're just gonna we're gonna own that that shared you know background that we have or the shared passion we have for for western european men that lived 200 years ago we don't say that right we right. don't articulate it that way so in that way i think we we cannot have an experience like that um i mean the I, to for me from my perspective homecoming um is symbolic and not symbolic it's it's important in so many ways uh the least of which is that um the experience that different people can tap into that that i envy as well mm-hmm. also i think it's really remarkable to me that it's not just a show there's so much thought there's so yeah. much meaning into who's playing the bands that were chosen right you've talked right. about that um the way in which it's presented as as we see in the in the in the the homecoming the whole show yeah. right not just the performance like what it takes sorry hit the oh, microphone yeah, no <laughs> what it takes i'm using my hands i'm so passionate about this um what it takes to put something like that on and and it is so important and it is so meaningful and significant to so many people including me um who who has um you know very different background and 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 connection to music um and, and and haven't listened to Beyonce for a long time. It's you know she's still a relatively new artist for me. Yeah. Um, it's striking. It's compelling. It's relevant. It it has so many different aspects because of the context that it's being presented in, and because of how much is is behind the decisions that were put into play, um, and how hard she worked on it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This is. I mean, this you want to talk about like excellence. I you know I'm I'm really looking to disrupt our definition of that in the classical music world. And to me, I love this term, um, poet, Douglas Kearney, who teaches here at the U. Um, we were talking about this, and he said, models of rigor, hmm. right? Okay, I'm going to write that so down. So it's not that, you know, stick, you know, moving away from excellence means that we're going to, like, you know, pander to people or we're going to diminish our our quality or our, our desire for the discipline it requires yeah. to play the music that we play or sing or perform in different ways. It's the model of rigor, Mm-hmm. It's intentionality. It's that. It's still just incredible hard work. Right? Oh yeah, of course. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure you know you, you can speak a lot to uh, hard works with, with your being. Uh, I'll say Queen B of the American yeah. Composers Forum. I like that. Uh, so, so why, why don't you tell us uh, about your musical upbringing and, sure. and what led you to your position at uh, ACF? Sure. So I am the complete product of Western European classical music. Both my parents are classical pianists. Oh wow. Yep. I grew up in the concert hall, literally, like mm-hmm. running around while my parents were, were rehearsing or playing or whatever. My mother is focused on the forte piano, uh, so the Mozart era, uh, also as a musicologist as well as performer. And my father is focused on the romantic era, so he plays Schumann and, mm-hmm. and Brahms and, and Beethoven. That's his specialty. So, so that's my upbringing. Um, I'm also very much a uh, European descendant, directly one, uh, first, second, and third generation European descendant. So I'm all of those things that we're talking about. <laughs> and while I'm the only one of my four siblings that went into music professionally, obviously that was that was our home. That's what we were brought up in. You know, Sunday morning was my religion was was playing duets with my dad or just being told to practice, whatever it might be. They did not 
um, say we had to go into classical music. They just wanted us to appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and I honestly had a very complicated relationship for a long time with it for that reason, because it was something my parents wanted me to do. It wasn't really a personal connection until I started playing orchestra. Okay. And I started going off to music festivals, and it became something I was doing together with my peers. And that's what made right. it so powerful for me. Um, and ultimately why I decided to go into it. And I did the conservatory track, and I thought I had three options as a musician. I was going to either, you know, teach or be a soloist um, or be an orchestra. Chamber music maybe, but that didn't seem viable either. Orchestra is what I loved, so that's what I pursued. So and, I, and what instrument, sorry? Sorry, violin. Okay, yeah. Yep, I'm a violinist. And um, uh, I think this is important for me because I... I'm, I was the, the good kid that did what I was supposed to do, and I practiced, and I was going to, you know, I, I did what everybody told me to do, to be a classical musician and, and to try and succeed. Um, and I kept my blinders on. I wasn't, you know, the person in, in, hmm. in school. I took some classes here and there. I kind of an interesting contemporary music, but really I felt like I have to practice so that I can do really well in my jury, and I can go out and get an orchestra job, and that's going to be my career, yeah. you know? Um, and kind of ignored all these other interests I had, too, because I had to practice, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, um, I did that for a while. I was in New York and freelancing, and it was an injury that actually led me to start doing some internships and explore administration and realize, oh, I really love doing this. Um, I really love being behind the scenes, creating and cultivating opportunities for artists. Um, I think I'm probably, my skill sets fit better with that, and... I never really enjoyed the spotlight anyway. Okay. I much prefer being kind of the person, you know, in behind the scenes, creating sure. opportunities and then letting those that do this much better than I do, you know, thrive and, and excel. So uh, so that's kind of my pathway into administration. But I have to say it's actually um, when I worked for theater, interesting that you're talking about that, um, yeah. that I had a real aha moment because I'd been working – um, and mostly orchestras. I also worked in um, at the Metropolitan Opera. So, you know, as Western European classical yeah. traditional structures, you can get these these organizations I had um, experienced, learned a lot. I mean, it, I, I am grateful for that. But it was going into theater and working for a playwright lab called The Lark in New York City, where not only did I step outside of music entirely and realize just how insular <laughs> the industry overall is, I also was working with an institution that was very focused on the underrepresented stories. How can we use theater to share people's stories with, with those that will never experience it, will maybe even never meet anybody that's experienced yeah. that? Right, right. And, um, and that's the first time I, within an institutional setting anyway, talked about, you know, unconscious bias and, um, you know, we talked about gender identity and, you know, all of these terms I had never been exposed to before. I mean, this is my own ignorance, obviously, as well. Um, so that was that was remarkable for me. And um, funny enough, that, that experience working with playwrights and people that were creating these stories and uh, it was all about incubation, this organization. Yeah. Um, that's what led me to, to connect more with composers and connect more with contemporary music. Um, so after that, I went and worked at International Contemporary Ensemble. and um, The good sort of ice. The ice, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and, and also American Composer Orchestra. Now I've, now I've kind of cultivated this career um, over the last decade working with um, you know, artist collectives, um, that were primarily working with composers in the creation of new music. So that's that's kind of my entry into um, the American Composers Forum. 
uh, where Vince is January. Can we jump in there and just yeah. can can you lay out what American Composers sure. Forum does? Because I'm sure that I'm not the only yeah. one that is just now learning about this. Oh, and we're just a few blocks away. So. Um, <laughs> So it was started in the 70s, 1973, by two composers, Libby Larson and Stephen Paulus, who were University of Minnesota students. Yeah, shout out to both Um, of them. Great music. Um, And Libby still lives here um, in the Twin Cities, and she's she's amazing. Uh, Unfortunately, we lost Stephen a few years ago. But they, it was started as the Minnesota Composers Forum, basically a collective of composers who were uh, playing each other's music. And quickly that also led to recording mm-hmm. the music. Uh, and to this day, we have Innova Record Label uh, as part of the ACF. Um, in the 90s, it expanded to become a national organization, the American Composers Forum. And ultimately what we do is we support the individual composers, the creative process. We give fellowships, direct artist support, fellowships, residencies, um, development grants. Um, we also are a membership organization, so it's about community and connecting composers with each other, professional development opportunities, mentorship. Um, we also have a number of education programs, for example, a high school composer program called Next Notes, where nice. um, you know the, the budding composers or creative artists of um, high school age all come together here to the Twin Cities and have mentorship and have professional musicians work on the music and record it for them. Um, so we, we have our fingers in a lot of different aspects of what it is to be a composer, what it is to want a career as a composer, and also um, uh, work with a composer, whether you're in middle school. We have a program that works with middle school bands and choruses, or as a high school composer, or as a member of a public that wants to connect with a living creator yeah, yeah. of music. You know, when, when you talk about the insular nature of, of, of yeah. so much of these things, I had heard of the American Composers Forum only uh, because of the the composer's date book. So, uh, yes. so, so for people, you know, so, <laughs> so for, you know, for people who listen to classical music regularly, you know, you, you may be familiar with the, uh, this day in music history sort right. of special. Um, and it always closes with, um, brought to you by the American composers Forum, reminding you that all music was once new. Yes. And actually, uh, the composer's date book is really what helped me fuel, um, you know, my values and, and my energy as far as what I wanted to do in classical radio. So when I, I would check the, um, the composer's date book, uh, website every day to see if there was a black composer or a woman composer or, or someone whose birthday it was that day or something significant. And that's how I would shape, uh, many of my shows at my former station, um, and and you know so so in that way the American Composers Forum has has been really beneficial to me, but I don't know if it has broader appeal. I mean, has has ACF um, played a role in in your life or in in your career at all? Sorry, no, I'm it, it hasn't. Um, <laughs> well, we're here today, yeah, right? But, but <laughs> no, I'm not a composer. Yeah. yeah, and the station that I came from, we didn't have the technology to get anything that. American public oh, media was putting out. We were this tiny little station, you know, skeleton crew. And um, Minnesota Public Radio and American Public Media, we just knew them as the people who were winning all the awards at the conferences. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, we were just, we, it, it, it cemented this idea in my head that you will not compete yeah. with Minnesota Public Radio. You're go- you are going to get trounced no matter what you do. And, and now look at me. Beyonce wrote right. a line about that at some point. I'll think of it here later. Okay. Um, but but when it comes to, you know, the name even, American Composers Forum, yeah. one, one of the early conversations we had is about um, how that 
can be a little exclusive mm-hmm. or, or, you know, all the way down to the word composer. Yep. What, what, what are some of your thoughts on, yep. uh, on that conversation? Yeah, well, that, that's, that's a conversation we're having, uh, you know, in the spirit of, of thinking about um, associations and how one uh, may perceive composer as a term. You know, often we find it's still very much associated with a white European man that lived 200 years ago. Yeah. And um, it's interesting, though, it's twofold because we have uh, also on our board uh, artists who have shared with me, you know, they're not Western European-based artists. They're, um, like, we have a Chinese people player, Gao Hong, who just joined our board. Um, and they felt, they never identified as a composer, and it was because they were awarded something through the American Composers Forum and, and given this kind of um, recognition that they were so... They were very. They felt it very valuable and enjoyed being recognized by an institution like ACF as a composer, and that meant a lot. On the other hand, though, we are also hearing from a lot of people that they don't think it's a place for them because they yeah. don't necessarily see themselves as as the composer in the Western European classical music sense, right? Um, but we've, you know, especially in the, in the last decade, have really tried to expand who we serve and who is a member and what who the programs are for. Yeah. Uh, that said, I think we could do a lot more, and I know that we could do a lot more. And um, you know, what's in a name? That's just that's one um, that's one descriptor. It's one aspect in which people make an assumption about us, or mm-hmm. or might have heard about us, and maybe not more than that. So, I think it does matter. Yeah. How do you how do you break out of that? Seeing yeah. as how composer has been designated to a certain thing. I mean, when I think of composers, though, um, Duke Ellington, you know, it doesn't always get that moniker. Right. Um, But more current, like, um, I think that Stevie Wonder could probably get that. Absolutely, yeah. Tom York from... Radiohead, yeah, uh, even yeah. my 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 favorite Tom Waits, I mm-hmm. would say, uh, is a composer. So how do we bust right. out of that? Right. How do we bust out of that and, mold? And, and I'll just offer an example uh, as well. I, I met um, Ben Romain, um, a contemporary composer, uh, once upon a time, and he he tells a story about how uh, he met Lady Gaga once, right. and she described herself as a composer. You know, full stop. Yeah. I'd say so too. Yeah. Well, it goes back to how do you self-identify, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's what we're learning a lot in this uh, work is, uh, you know, there's so many labels that we attach to things you know, using genre and things like that that are just so systemic <laughs> to our to our ongoing status quo and not really evolving as, as organizations that are uh, at least historically based in Western European classical music. So um, I, I take a lot of cues actually from the AACM, the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians, yeah. based in Chicago in the 60s. Um, they started in the 60s. They still exist, and they're coming. We're bringing them here actually to the, um, the Twin Cities. Stay, um, actually, please come. Uh, September 6th, Friday, September 6th, we're co-presenting. If I could do a little plug really yeah, quickly. Yeah, please, yeah. Um, and we're going to get into it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um they are coming and playing the Cedar, 7.30 p.m., Friday, September 6th. It's a co-presentation from the Cedar, ACF, and the Schubert Club. And um, it's the Great Black Music Ensemble, which is their ensemble in residence at the AACM. But to answer your question, um, <laughs> uh, George Lewis wrote this uh, comprehensive book about the history of the AACM. Um, and uh, turns out that they recorded a lot of their early conversations when they were first gathering, which is remarkable. So it's almost transcripts even that he's just drawing from and, and putting um, to compile the history of this um, organization. And they talk a lot about composer 
original music, creative music, they specifically chose not to include race in their name. Mm. Um, and they specifically chose creative musicians because yeah. they wanted to be inclusive of those that were creating original music or just performing it. Not everybody was was actually, you know, the, seeing themselves as a creator. Um, and so I think a lot about what does that mean to that. that so I actually... Whenever I now write or talk about American Composers Forum, um, I try to not exclusively use composer. I try to say composers and musical creators or creative artists, creative musicians. We've talked about this, yeah. too. I don't yeah. know what the right term is. Maybe it just means adding a few terms um, to to express, you know, all of all are welcome. You know, yeah. um, I guess that's always the challenge when you're trying to be inclusive. You're excluding. Right. So, yeah, um, we just kind of keep adding um, different different language in an effort to to be more inclusive. But I think I think it's a. I'm not saying we're changing our name right now. <laughs> okay, okay. For anybody worried? But it's a very much a I was, conversation. I was, I was waiting on the big reveal for the no, new name. <laughs> no, but I think it's important to have the conversation, to ask the questions, and then maybe we decide. It's uh, you know it's it's a huge thing to change your name. Would people get confused or would they just you know write us off? Who knows? But um, it really is. Yeah. It, it, we get so hung up on names, don't we? Yeah, we really because, do. You know, uh, with the way that things are on the landscape now, you see so many artists that have their hands in almost every part of the process. We've obviously been talking mm -hmm. about Beyonce, but Garrett, you've met my friend. Yeah, Scott. My favorite composer, I you, guess we can say now. Yeah, but you've <laughs> yes. met, you've met my it. friend Scott Working. Yeah, and he's in he's involved in theater, and he's got his hand in every. I mean, do we move over to our tour uh -huh. as a as a term? Is that too right. hoity toity? Um, well, and here's the other thing. You know, we don't we can't be all things to all people, right? right? And and we've done a lot of. Uh, New Music USA, for example, is another organization um, focused on the creative process of living music for primarily Western European classical music, but not only. Mm -hmm. um, they, they're based in New York, um, and they were a merger of Meet the Composer and American Music Center um, in, I think, 2011. So, you know, they're kind of the more most comparable organization, and, like, what does that mean? What are they doing and how can we complement each other or collaborate with each other? And then there's so many other organizations, even like talking about the Larkin Theater, that mm -hmm. are about the incubation and right. the support of the creative artist. Um, so I think there are a lot of different, very interesting things happening, not to mention, you know, social impact and social justice. And uh, this great organization also here, Springboard for the Arts. Um, so I'm... You know, I'm still in my first year. So for me, this is a lot of information gathering. This forum we're having is also very much a part of that um, to really identify where can we have a meaningful role that's really going to help these conversations along in a number of different organizations and circles. Um, so, and ask some of those important questions. Yeah, and yeah. Let's, let's go ahead and talk about that uh, forum a little bit. So, you know, you already mentioned the performance that's mm -hmm. happening on uh, September 6th. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, th there's, there are many um, events happening uh, surrounding this convening, yeah. um, including a, a panel of uh, composers. I'm going to be on this panel yep. uh, where, where we, uh, you know, just sort of discuss um, what we need to discuss as far as inclusion, uh, inclusion and equity, and um, and all these racial conversations as it applies to uh, composers. What are you uh, hoping to to get out of this panel discussion? Do, do, do you have any hard hard set goals right. that that you're shooting for? Right. So uh, let me offer a little more context Please, um, yeah. to help answer that question. So uh, so this convening actually was already uh, in play when I started. Uh, my job in January. Um, we got some funding from the Knight Foundation, thankfully. And um, 
and really trying to figure out, so what is what does this mean for us? Yeah. You know, because there are so many conversations happening, as we know. Um, I, I will say a few things. I think uh, one of the reasons uh, this came to be was we were seeing a lot of these conversations happening at various conferences and various um, convenings and rarely including composers mm-hmm. or, or at least not directly. Yeah. Uh, and to me, if we're talking about how an organization, uh, a musical organization can be relevant, can be connected to their community, um, can be forward looking, um, how can you not include a composer? How can you not yeah. include a living creator of music mm-hmm. in that conversation? And so, um, and if we're about American Composers Forum, we are about American composers. However, we defer- define that, right? Yeah. How we we see that it's still um, a, a pluralistic community of different voices, and so this is absolutely essential to our own existence um, as an organization to be relevant to that conversation. So, um, so we thought that having the platform of, of musical creators, who, by the way, are also not. Um, isolated to one genre or one ensemble size, you know, composers don't just write for orchestra. Um, hopefully, yeah, <laughs> hopefully yeah. they're influenced <laughs> by many things, um, and you know, all bring their own backgrounds and cultural influences into that music making. So um, that was one reason we thought we could gather kind of across different um, pockets of our field. Um, in, in a shared conversation about this. And also having the musical creators or composers, see, I'm going to have to sure, use multiple sure. terms um, uh, gladly, uh, to have them lead the conversation. Because again, here we are often talking about, well, orchestra should do this, or the, you know, but not necessarily having the very people who should be the center of the conversation, leading the conversation, even in the conversation. So um, I've just, what I love most about my work is is the conversations I have with these artists and the ideas they have, not only for, you know, what they want to write on the page, but the experience I want to create. You know, this is a shared experience. Mm-hmm. It's not a one-sided presentation. At least it shouldn't be in my view. So um, I'm really excited about having some assumptions questioned um, I really want to have these panels. Um, I mean, my focus, my target audience is um, the institutions or the, the the people in positions of power to curate or program artistic presentations. So whether it's from an orchestra, whether it's from a presenter series or a smaller group that's thinking about their season next year, that are having these questions and conversations, but just haven't they're not sure what what's next, um, or maybe feel stuck, or maybe they're having a lot of pushback from different stakeholders. Who knows? Um, I think there's um, there's a lot to be gained from having this particular collection of people because we have you know people in various um, roles yep. also part of yep. these panel conversations to get to that next conversation of how, like. Hopefully the why is already evident, although that's definitely something we need to be And you can't always assume that. You can't yeah. always assume. Um, but what I, what I see often in these conversations is we kind of stay up here, and then people leave and aren't sure what to do with that information. Hmm. And I think we need to do both. I think we still there's still so much work to be done. I'm still learning so much about the why and the how and the assumptions I've made and the privilege I've had. Um, and... What do we do tomorrow? And what do we do in the next year? Um, we've been working with a consultant, Justin Lang. Yeah, shout out to Justin. Yes, yeah. shout out to Justin. Absolutely. Who's been just amazing. Highly recommend. <laughs> um, 
who's really and you know one of the reasons I was I was uh, eager to work with him was because I knew he'd be honest with me. He wasn't going to give us a formula like you do this and you'll be great. You know, he's really uh, he's really been helpful in us having some really uncomfortable, difficult conversations and recognizing our own like what historical exclusion. Well, uh, I think. Um, Another thing I've seen often is that we can talk about this, but we're not looking aside our own organizations. Who's the leadership? Who's making the decisions? Mm. Um, what is the language we're using? Who's at the table? Um, so we have to acknowledge that we are historically white. And while we've made efforts in the last decade to expand what American Composers Forum is and who it's for, we have a lot of work to do still in that respect. And if you look at our staff, for example, they're all amazing people, and um, I, among them, am, am um, amazing <laughs> and white. <laughs> Thank you. <Claire. laughs> um, but we are we are uh, we are all white except for one part-time person, um, and uh, so that's something we have to reconcile. We have to reckon with that. And uh, what does that mean? And what are the steps we can take? I'm not going to fire anybody. They're all amazing. So, what are the things that we can do to really make sure that there's better representation, not only in an advisory role, but in a in a in a decision making role. Um, our board is um, is much better, but we still have work to do there. Um, and I think we'll see a total evolution in the artists, all artists that we seek to um, include and support and advocate on behalf of as a result of the people that are in those decision making roles. Yeah, yeah. I have to ask the question. Have you gotten any pushback as a result of the makeup that you just described? Because um, uh, I'm, I'm sure that you've read that article by Nabal Massoud yeah. about uh, it's time to let classical music die. Isn't yeah, that the right. exact title of I it? Think well, he's, so. he's written a series. Yes. Yeah. And uh, there was a, another one that deals with colonization a little bit more directly. Yes. Yes. Have you received any pushback yeah. like people saying... Uh, you're positioning yourself to be driving a conversation where other people should be. Absolutely. Absolutely. How so? Um, well, look, I'm, again, I'm a white person. We are a largely white organization um, having a conversation about racial diversity. <laughs> you know, I think uh, I think it's really important to acknowledge that we are not leading these conversations, that we are by no means an example. We are in the work as well, what I hope happens is that one, as somebody who is as a already established somebody that comes from the very traditional classical music world mm -hmm. and background and tunnel vision, <laughs> I I I've done um, a lot of learning and have so much more. It's like the the more you know, the more you know you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. That's just the tip of the iceberg, and so I have to make myself vulnerable and acknowledge that and acknowledge the privilege I've had and I hope encourage others to do the same. I hope also that we are going through this process. We can um, we can actively cultivate connections to others that are in this process as well so we can do more together. We're having all these conversations kind of by ourselves, I think, and to acknowledge the challenge, the discomfort, the the difficulty of doing this work so that we can really do it and do it well um, is necessary and not just kind of 
do what's necessary for the grant or whatever and, and you know, mm-hmm. speak to the and, and yes, whatever. And, and, and let's, let, I don't want to gloss over that because okay. so many organizations will have these conversations mm-hmm. when it's time for, for them to get a grant or when there's some money involved. But it's, it's actually, as you said, cultivating those uh, authentic connections. Yeah. You know, that whole conversation um, makes me think of um, the concert that happened um, maybe working on a year ago now featuring uh, the work of Pavel French. Um, shout out to Pavel yeah, French. Pa- shout yes. out to her. She's going to be on this panel. She uh, is, I understand. Yeah. Scott, you've heard her live. You. Uh, oh my gosh. Well, she, when she sings, the hair on the back of my neck stands yeah. up. Absolutely. I mean, she's just so good. And and you know when she, when she was featured um, at the uh, at the Ordway, I believe here in uh, St. Paul. Yep. Um, not only you know was the music different, not only was the feeling different, but the crowd itself yes, was yeah. di- you know it, it, the whole experience felt so different because of that one bit of um, inclusion or diversity. And and I hate to boil it down to that because you know her music and and uh, and her work is so much. You know, it's not in service to diversity; it's in service to her expression and you know and all that sort of thing. But even so. Having that, um, ha- having her in in that setting, just made the concert hall experience feel so different. What, were I you totally at that agree. concert? I was there too, and this is one of my favorite stories. And I'm so glad that she's she's agreed to participate with us. She's been amazing, um, and actually, that was that. Uh, commission uh, with the SPCO was supported by Development Grant from ACF. Oh well, shout out to uh, y'all. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, very proud. I mean, this is this is why this is what we do it for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is the greatest fulfillment is to sit in that audience and know that like this is this is what it's for. This is why yeah. we do what we do because I think I think what's interesting about that example too. Um, and if you don't know Pavel, you should know her. Yeah, <laughs> she's, uh, she's this an amazing artist um and she's an amazing person and i think that that was so compelling um the music was amazing she was also herself on stage clearly this, no code she had switching. never yeah. yeah she had never um first of all she had contacted spco there's a tpt um minnesota oh, twin cities it's public a minnesota television. original um anyway it's on our it's on our social media well We'll share that, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, she 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 reached out to St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. So she reached out to them and said, "I want to write for orchestra. I want to write for my hometown orchestra." She's from the Rondo neighborhood mm-hmm. in St. Paul. Had never written for orchestra before, and they said, "Let's talk." So that's you know, shout out to the SPCO for that too. Yeah. Um, and and so they not only invested in this relationship, but the whole context. It's what I, I really think it goes to context. Um, the people that were in the audience, the way it was presented, she got, had an opportunity to talk about it. She was able to share who she was as a person, connect with the audience in meaningful ways, even before she started singing, which yeah. was incredible, right? Um, now the question is, what's next, right? I don't want that to be one-off. I don't think anybody that was there that right. night wants it to be one-off. Um, and she's somebody, she's just an artist I have a lot of time for, I really believe in, and I would love... Any opportunity to create more opportunities for her. Yeah, um, yeah, we got to get Paviel on a uh, triloquy. Yeah. Hey, we'll, Paviel, we'll, do you want to come on triloquy? <laughs> we'll, we'll get that worked <laughs> out. Hey, Paviel. Uh, but, but Vanessa, you brought up social media, and 
you know, Scott, I don't know why I just can't stay out of trouble on social media. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, so the American Composers Forum um, Twitter account, um, you yeah. know, sort of uh, put information out about this uh, convening yeah. and everything that was happening. And the first response un- uh, under it was uh, from a woman. I think she I wish uh, I'll, I'll put her in the description or something. I can't remember her name right now, but um, she's from Canada. And she was talking about how well. Um, why is there only uh, one woman on this panel? Should, yeah. should it, uh, you know, is the topic of diversity and inclusion not also a topic of gender? And because I, you know, was added in in the original tweet, I felt like I needed to respond. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I felt like I had to speak to and what sort of the conversation um, began to happen, you know, maybe not so friendly at some points, was the fact that when it comes to um, black equity, um Uh, exclusively, you know, or racial equity, it always has to be pinned to another uh, sort of um, sort of initiative. You know, we uh, black folks, we can't focus on what's going to make us better. What what, you know, the the path toward our liberation without also talking about, um, you know, gender equity and that sort of thing. And obviously, I think gender equity is very important. You know, I've I've dedicated much of my career to making sure that we also showcase music by uh, not just women of color, but but women, period. Um, but with all that being said, I feel like sometimes um, we have to sit back and allow ourselves to focus on um, an, an issue that uh, is a problem without having to tack it on to something else. I mean, do, do you have right. an a, opinion right. on that whole, you know, what, what, what would be your response to the person yeah. saying, well, why aren't there more women on this uh, on this panel? Yeah. Um, well, first, I, I have to say, I think she's kind of right. We should have sure. had more women. Sure. Um, we do have more women on other panels that day, mm-hmm. um, which are, you know, this is all connected, I think. Um, they're not isolated conversations. Um, but, yeah, we should have had a, a, a better ratio of gender um, representation as well as um, different roles and different um, – so many other things that we want to include. The way that we're approaching this – and, again, this is one day that I hope is one of many days that we can help to facilitate um, – is that racial equity as a focus does include women, does include um, Exactly, right. LGBTQ, that was my other point, right. It does include socioeconomic status. It does include age. You know, we've, we've also tried to pay attention to those different inequities within the racial conversation in this one day. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm sure that there's many, there are many people certainly that I wish I could have included. And there are certainly a lot of different viewpoints that I wasn't able to include in this one day, as it is the panels, I think, are a little big. But, right, you know, right. we really wanted to make sure we had multiple different viewpoints because the thing is there's not going to be one answer to any of these questions either, right? Um, you know, I, I think it's interesting in thinking about how you identify new voices um, or, or even just back to the, the, the women conversation. Some women want to be um, wanted to be identified and recognized the lack of women representation. Others would really just prefer to be called a composer and not have it named in the way. I think we need to do both. Sure. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I think we are talking about gender equity by talking about racial equity because women are included in that framework. Also, um, th- what we have uh, really talked a lot about at ACF in our conversations again with Justin, thank you, Justin, um, is the idea of intersectionality in that if we are talking about people of color, which, of course, that in itself is is a problem because that's the other. Um, and it, it lumps a lot of different people in one group, which is, which is completely unfair. Um, but if we're taking that as one framework and 
making women and gender equity a different framework, then we're really not identifying the fact that black women or other women of color are not part of that original racial equity. And the fact is, the more that we can understand the systemic issues that we continue to perpetuate in our institutions and society, um, the more we think about, you know, biases and prejudice and historic exclusions and really work towards equity, the fairer our entire system becomes. Yeah. And that's not just for one body, right? right? It's about it's about how do we make it fair for everybody? Everybody in the end benefits. It will be harder for some that have benefited from this system over others, sure. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it's we're picking one as, you know, we're, we're not switching um, power, but as you've talked about the difference between equality and equity, which I think yeah. is still off, it, it deserves repeating, I think. Right. Um, that's something we've, we've been trying to understand. It's the overrepresentation of white people. It's not that we're looking to exclude white people, white men, white women from ACF and all the, the, the things that we're working on. It's that we are recognizing they have benefited more than others. I think that's beautifully said. And, and, you know, just to cover myself a little bit, I don't want to make it again. I don't want to make it sound like that. I don't think gender equity is an important conversation because it is. But Vanessa, as you said, the conversation of racial equity includes women of color. It includes queer women and, and, yeah. and queer men. I just hate the idea that a focus on a conversation surrounding racial equity has to be pinned to something else or is considered incomplete if it doesn't include X, Y, and Z. And I think, Scott, we've talked about this before, you know, um, uh, you know, where, where my identity intersects, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a, um, I'm a part of the, the queer community as well as a member of the black community. But that doesn't mean that I have to, you know, focus my work on queer equity all the time, you know, because I'm also black. And when I focus on black equity, I'm also including queer people of color. I just, you know, I, I hate the idea yeah. that anything um, racially centered or even black centered um, is incomplete. I, 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 hate the, I hate the idea that, you know, an organization isn't allowed to really tackle that issue um, as it is. Uh, and before I pass the mic over to you, Scott, I, I, you know, we've, we've, we've brought up Justin Lang a couple times. I have mm. a Justin Lang story. Oh. So um, this was a couple years ago um, at the Sphinx conference. And, um, you know, he was on a panel and a woman from, um, oh, I, I'm, I need to think of this organization, not, um, well, what's the organization that um, oversees like the large orchestras? The League uh, of American Orchestras. Oh shoot! There's there's one there's Ropa and then there's oh Ixum. Ixum, yeah. So um, the the chair of Ixum at the time, um, during you know at the point of the question and uh, and answer portion of the panel, decided to walk to the front and skip everyone to just um, give her two cents as um, Ixum uh, president or whatever. And Justin Lang in front of the whole crowd called her out saying that you are. Um, you know, this is an, an example of your privilege. You think you can just come up here and skip everyone and blah, blah. Anyway, so that's when I became a Justin Lang fan because, yeah. you know, and, and I, I wish more of us would, you know, have the courage to really call out those sorts of inequities as they happen because yeah. because that's how they're they're always perpetuated, you know. And I know that can be a challenge. Scott, you talk about it all the time, even with your family. So, oh and, 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 not to, and I'm not talking bad about your family either, but I'm saying... It can be a challenge to deal with some of these conversations 
in real time, you know, as Absolutely, they're happening. Absolutely, because, you know, people love to come out and say how they think they would react mm-hmm. in a certain situation. And then when it actually comes down to it, it doesn't happen mm-hmm. that way. You know, that you, you demure or even worse, you like have a fear response where everything shuts down and you can't even engage anymore. Uh, let's take a moment and, and put you on the spot. This mm-hmm. panel is coming up when? Um, this panel is on Saturday, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, at the time of, of this airing, uh, day after tomorrow. Okay. So how do you think the panel shapes ah, up as okay. far? Is it, let, let's ask yeah. it, you as a participant, mm-hmm. is it representative of everybody that needs to be included in the conversation? You know, for, for this conversation, what I appreciate, Vanessa, about this panel is how, uh, the the big diversity aspect are the backgrounds of the of the people involved. So there are um, there are composers, you know, big C composers on this panel. There are also folks like Pavel French, who you know we may not always consider a composer, but create this really beautiful music. And mm-hmm. then I'm here. I'm not a um, you know so much of a composer. I'll write a jingle here every now and mm-hmm. again, but <laughs> but you know my main thing you know these days is is radio and and how I can um, support. Uh, composers and these conversations through through my job. So, you know, while there, there's always more work to be done, and you know, quickly back to that uh, panel that I, I was talking about that Justin Lang was on. Yeah. That the one of the first questions asked on that panel was why are there not more women on this panel? You know, so. Uh, again, it's always important conversations, but I'm really happy that we're getting so many different viewpoints within the um, w- within the industry. And I know that you know, as as we already laid out uh, at the beginning of our conversation, the work that the American Composers Forum does may not directly touch everyone, or may not you know be directly relevant uh, to everyone. But through uh, the different you know, bodies on that panel and that will be involved in this convening, those connections can be made. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I learn on this panel and what I learn from this convening, I can convey to a listener and and that's how it's Good. manifested. Okay. Or or a composer can do it through his music. You know, shout out to Jonathan Bailey Holland, who's going to mm-hmm. be on that panel. He he does a lot of that already. So, you know, that that's what I'm uh, looking forward to. And, and I think it'll be a success. I mean, the, the conversations we've had leading up uh, to this yeah. have definitely been... Um, very exploratory and yeah. very enlightening. Can I ask a Can I ask a simple sounding question? Okay. leading up here, yeah. um, because you know you talk about your role here at American Public Media. You are the one black person on the air. Sure. There's people who have identified you as the first black national classical broadcaster. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. <laughs> I hope they pick a good headshot for the history books. <laughs> Um, okay, so now, um, in, in, and Vanessa, maybe you can answer this too, because whenever we have had a position open here, mm. we, we don't get a lot of people of color mm-hmm. applying. Um, in fact, in the 13 years that I've been here, I have seen one other black person apply for a job here. Hmm. So is it is the way that your organization looks and the way that these panels look is it can it be boiled down to who's available can it be boiled down to um uh the, the people who are showing interest to participate is it can it be that simple so i think that's a great should i no, you're please, looking at me so please. i'm going to jump in yeah, and please. i want to hear what you say too um uh i think that that it's not um separate from the conversation about how do you identify artists 
Um, and how are you identifying new voices to be part of your program? And I think, um, you know, if you do a call for scores, well, you know, nobody applied or there weren't enough, you know, whatever. There, mm-hmm. there are a lot of reasons. Um, and I think that goes back to the context and the framework and, you know, everything from who is who is participating in the creation of the language, the construct of the program or the job description, the job itself? You know, what kind of leadership opportunities are there in the job? Um, is it being paid equitably? equitably, equitably? Yeah. That's yeah. A hard, I don't know why that's hard today. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, you know, there, and there are just so many. And then once you attract somebody, how, what is your experience inside the organization? Right. Are you being tokenized? Are you know? Is it a good experience? Are people learning? Are they open? Are they seeking other voices? So it's not just you having to teach everybody. I mean, yeah. that's that's how I at least uh, that's what I tell myself as a white leader um, that I hope I'm at least creating a, a, a an environment where people feel that they are you know they are it's fair it's a fair space for them and they are empowered and yeah. they are they are. They are participants not only because we need to make it look good, but because we really, really need and value diverse perspectives. That has to be a tough tightrope to walk to uh, gauge merit versus background and all of these other parts that are well, folded well, into well, it. There's, there's always been this misconception, of whether it's um, hiring musicians for an orchestra or, or, or whatever, that a focus on racial equity and, and maybe mm-hmm. even gender equity might threaten quality. Yes. yes. And, and, I have a, and I have a big problem with that because, you know, for, for whatever legal reasons or, or whatever, you know, you can't say um, only, only black folks apply, you know. But there is this fear that if you go out and look for, um, uh, you know, if you use more diverse hiring practices that, oh, well, maybe they won't know as much or, you know, and, and that boils straight down to racism, you know, well, uh, America's original sin. Um, but, you know, basically I'll, I'll, I'll tack on uh, to what you say is um, that, you know, as long as the relationship is authentic. I don't yeah. feel tokenized uh, right. here at American Public Media because, uh, and shout out to uh, Julie Amacher, you know, the conversations we have, the conversations I have with, with my manager um, are very much uh, based in, well, what is your opinion on this? What is your perspective on this? What what are you interested in bringing to the table? And I feel like I can bring what I want to bring to the table in a way that, um you know, white folks can understand and, and they can and they can get down with my perspective and, and, and we can all learn. And, and you know, that that at the end of the day, it just makes all of this so much more inclusive and, and so much more valuable um, and, and so much more relevant. So yeah. so so I'm hoping um, that we can, you know, put another crack in in, uh, in that wall and in, in, in that piece of glass at this convening. Um, yeah. But the American Composers Forum. Uh, th- Vanessa, we really appreciate your spending Thank the time you. with us here. Uh, before we let you go, can you uh, talk to us a little bit about um, how people can learn more about the ACF, sure. if they want to contact you and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff? Great. So uh, our website is composersforum.org and uh, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter as well. On our website and the homepage, you will see a link for the Racial Equity and Inclusion Forum taking place in the Twin Cities that will be live streamed. Um, it's Saturday, September 7, 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Central Time. And um, I'm really hopeful that this is the start of more conversations that we can help facilitate. Um, and for me, I'm listening as much as everybody else to look for the opportunities for us to have a meaningful role and what it means for us moving forward to really um, advocate for living musical creators of today. Yeah. 
Before I go, I wanted to say how amazing this podcast is. I have learned so much. And as I've shared with both of you, uh, the the dialogue between the two of you, I think, is just modeling behavior of how we can have these conversations. It's not about shaming, but it's about being vulnerable, about being honest and authentic, as you said. Um, and I know I'm still learning so much as I practice this conversation. And um, I'm so grateful to have um, Triloquy as a podcast um, every week to to listen uh-huh. to and learn from. So thank, thank you. Thanks so much. You hear that? No one is shaming you, Scott, okay? Uh, don't, did I don't, say Don't make anything? me pull my soundbite in here, my favorite soundbite. <laughs> I got a soundbite for you. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Vanessa. Thank you. So on the next opus of Triloquy, uh, Scott, I interview uh, a creator, but maybe not the sort of creator you would expect. So her name is Cameron, and she wrote a book about how to um, take care of your new instrument. So I, mm. I thought it would be cool to have sort of a, a, a back-to-school opus of Triloquy where we uh, where we hear what Cameron has to say about, um, y- you know, her, her relationship with uh, teaching kids and um and, and she managed to do all of this. Um, I think she's like 19 years old right now. So she, uh, she, she's doing incredible things. We're actually, uh, APM is actually featuring her book for the September edition of Classical Kids Storytime. That's what I was going to say. We have to give a shout out to Classical Kids Storytime, which um, if you have some young kids in your life, you should check it out because it takes, uh, the whole series takes fables and um, fairy tales and recasts them in a modern way put some classical music behind it with some original illustrations by Nancy Carlson. And I think that uh, your contribution along with Cameron is uh, the one thing that's been missing up to this point, you know, talking directly about... Because where do all those fables come from? You know, what are the traditions behind all of those stories that have been showcased in the past, most of them anyway, Western, European, blah, 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 right? Well, that's <laughs> so. And 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 Cameron, you're going to call Cam- me out on that. Cameron here? is of color, so it's so you know. I, I when I when I saw um, her give the presentation of this book and and pitch for um, funding for it and all that, I knew. Oh wow! It, I, I have to make sure that this uh, young black woman and her work is showcased on Classical Kids Storytime. So uh, and you got to do the read, right? And, yeah, and I got to um, do the voice acting. I hope I did okay. If you're listening to this right now, it's available. So if you go to <laughs> <laughs> yourclassical.org. You can find uh, Kinderloot uh, under Classical Kids Storytime. Uh, anyway, I'll be uh, chatting with her on the next opus of Triloquy. Scott, uh, you and I are going to talk about another book, so uh, a lot of uh, reading to, to do. So I hope you'll uh, join us for that. It's coming up next time on Triloquy.